pickaxe. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the Review of Death, a Doctor Who podcast, your fortnightly home for Doctor Who news and reviews. I'm Matthew Toflo. I'm joined as ever by Billy Garrett-John. But today we have a very special guest. We do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to welcome to the Review of Death, a Doctor Who podcast, Mr. Al Dewar. How are you doing, sir? You all right? I am. I'm doing very well. I've just returned from two weeks on holiday, so I'm doing more than well, to be honest. <laughs> <at the moment>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easing myself back in gently. <laughs> Good to hear. You loom large in your own legend, Al, uh, as uh, the head of the, the Doctor Who uh, action figure range or whatever it is. Can, can you just briefly tell us what, what your job title is and sort of what it is you do? Um, so, well, so I'm, cr- I'm creative director. Um, I'm not the boss, contrary to what people people seem to think. Um, I do handle the Doctor Who section, but my job is basically to have creative oversight of everything that uh, we create in-house. And I'll be honest, that in, that mostly includes not Doctor Who stuff because Doctor Who is just a small part of a very big number of licenses. So on anything from product, packaging, anything anything where an opinion has to be had on how it should look, how it should work, whether it's the right cost, etc. Although I tend not to... <laughs> My, my colleagues will say, you tend not to pay attention to things like the cost. Um, so, yeah, and, it, and I'm more of the creative side. So I, so I literally have creative input on most stuff. So that's my, that's my job, really. And I love it. It's great. It's, it's good. So you said Doctor Who is only a small cog. What do you think is the, the brand that you work on the most? Oh, well, we've got, we've got a, it varies year to year. I mean, I've, I've worked on a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it can be, I mean, preschool stuff's quite big. We're just launching a new girls um, product called Mouse in the House, which is about to come out. Uh, well, in fact, it's out now and it seems it's doing very well, which has these little, little tiny little mice. Uh, this is a little freebie sample that will be given away, but the little play against the wall play sets. Probably our biggest brand, at, well, not probably, the biggest brand at the moment is probably the Gujitsu stuff and the stretch stuff that we do. That's not my one, but it's but it's a huge part of the business at the moment and, it, and it's doing extremely well. But, I mean, I, I think people just, <laughs> I think people have this idea that I spend my entire day sitting by my desk or at my desk um, working on Doctor Who. It is not the case. <laughs> So how did you get into the toy business, Al? What was your path into it? Circuitously, if that's the right word. 
So I, I studied graphic design originally, uh, way up uh, in Aberdeen in the Arctic Circle or near it. Um, uh, so graphics was really where I sort of started. But from a, when I was a kid, I was always building stuff. I mean, I completely did the wrong thing. I should probably have done product design because that's what I ended up doing anyway. But um, so, I, so I did graphics at college and then I was working at a graphics company in Weybridge. And I think that, uh, they came to the conclusion at the same time as I did that it, that it wasn't for me and I wasn't really enjoying it. And I, I just happened to have applied for a job with Hasbro. Um, it was a job I didn't have a hope in hell of getting, if I'm honest. I was, I was woefully underqualified at that stage in my career, but they, um, <laughs> they kind of knew that some young, dumb kid would apply for, for, the, for the job. Um, so... I actually ended up joining Hasbro and I worked in the games department and then uh, in the boys area for a while eventually. Then I left Hasbro. Then I basically went into, what did I do after that? I I worked with a company up in Oxford for a while. And then I got back into um, toys essentially and kind of found my feet. And that was around about 2001. I joined Character. And then from there, I just kind of enjoyed basically, I'd been doing toy design and designing products. So I'd been designing products since my Hasbro days, essentially. So I had a good knowledge of stuff. But I do everything. I do plush toys. I do plastics. I do, um, you know, ceramics. I've done electronics. Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've, we've done, a, we've done a, a, a ton of different stuff. And, and you you have to. I mean, um, you're never working on one thing for very long before it changes. So how about the Doctor Who licence? How did that all come about back in the early 2000s? Oh, well, that was a, that was actually an interesting story because um, we there was a ton of companies pitching for the for the um, the licence when it relaunched back in 2005. And um, they came to our offices here and they were chatting and we'd done the usual spiel. We'd sort of told them how wonderful we were and what we were experienced at and how we could do stuff much faster than anyone else, which was pretty much true. Um, but then they said, uh, they said, of course, if you, if, you know, if you, if you were to get this gig, somebody in your department at least has to be a Doctor Who fan. And I sort of went, I've got a TARDIS in my garden. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of looked at you could tell they sort of looked at each other and kind of went ah oh, this is interesting so yeah i like to think the fact that i had a police box in my back garden was at least partly responsible for us um getting the getting the doctor who um license so that was that was really how that came about but i mean it behind the scenes it's the same it's always it's always down to contracts and money and fun things like that. Now this TARDIS, I got a funny feeling this was a this is a Paul McGann TV movie TARDIS. Oh, it was. I absolutely love um, the the TV movie. Um, I especially love that TARDIS. I built a lot of computer models of that console room in my time. Um, and the, the sad thing is, I've lost all those now. I'd love to. <laughs> love to have them again because I could 3D print them all, which would be great. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a Paul McGann, which had the much bigger sign boxes at the top and it and it looked sort of tall and quite purposeful. Although I, I have to be honest, now in hindsight, my TARDIS 
choices have changed a little bit. I, I'm a big, big fan of the original Mackenzie Trench Mark II, um, which I think the original police box, which I think is just beautiful. And it's slightly ironic to me that um, <laughs> given, given that that's what a certain corporation went to court with the Metropolitan Police over that they've never actually used one. Um, it's always been a derivative sort of uh, stylized version, but uh, there you go. But yeah, uh, uh, that was it, yeah. I think that's something we've always mentioned, isn't it? How much we would like to see a proper police box used in the TV series. And I feel like for the, the, there were photos of the, around series five, there were production there were weren't sketches there? of yeah. a Mackenzie Trench style box for Matt Smith. That well, happened. it's interesting you say that because I remember having a conversation with somebody at the BBC at the time, and I sort of said, and I had two models of a Mackenzie Trench TARDIS to the scale of our figures, and um, I sort of said, "It's a it's a lovely police box. You should really." have this so they said oh could you send it to us and I went yeah yeah of course I so, so I sent it down and then I did see some drawings I think it was um Matt Smith that some images are blueprints of Matt Smith standing next to a proper full-sized police box which is probably the ones you're talking about um I never got my TARDIS back so somebody <laughs> somebody uh is in possession of one of only two really nice models of um, the Mackenzie Trench TARDIS. Though I do have the 3D SDL files, Matt. So if you ever, <laughs> if you ever want one, just let me know. There we are, coming to a YouTube channel near you, <laughs> review of that. <laughs> I mean, Al, you've outed yourself as a fan, obviously, not in, just in front of the, uh, the BBC, but here on the podcast as well. What is your personal history with Doctor Who? How did you kind of fall in love with it? I mean, it's interesting. So, so um, I... I have two older brothers and a younger sister and um, my eldest brother and I absolutely love sci-fi and especially Doctor Who and my other, my other brother and my sister just completely don't get it. Um, so it was quite interesting. So, so we always used to sort of chat and he, he very distinctly remembers the black and white, um, even William Hartnell um, time of Doctor Who. I don't, my earliest memories of Doctor Who were John Pertwee. 100%, um, which is why I think uh, his tenure is, is um, really cool. That moment when Tom Baker sort of sat up um, on TV, having just regenerated from John Pertwee, is just etched into my mind. I, I, I know exactly where I was. I know exactly where I was sitting on the living room floor watching Robot and <laughs> having this really wacky guy and I remember my mom going I'm not sure I like him he's a bit strange and I sort of went hey he's blooming fantastic this guy's just you know it's just completely bonkers and so yeah so my personal history with Doctor Who is remembering John Pertwee but Tom Baker has always <laughs> I'm not supposed to I'm probably not supposed to say that uh, but for, personally my doctor was Tom Baker um, 100%. So, yes, it's etched. It's literally etched into my psyche. Um, 
that theme tune, the time tunnel, everything. You've got a Tom Baker fan here. You're a poetry I'm fan. I'm a poetry fan. So come on, yeah, we're, we're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love the John Pertwee stuff as well. It's it, it's amazing how whether it's the music or the way it's shot, a lot of it makes you feel very uneasy. It's got a real ability to kind of put you on edge in a in a in a way that maybe and I think it was that era, but a lot of modern programming doesn't quite. But it. It had a way of just being a little bit strange. Um, and I remember as a kid being really freaked out by, um, you know, some of those um, stories. They were just, I mean, there was a hell of a lot of filler and padding in them, if we're being honest <laughs> with all the other stuff. But my God, they, they again, they sort of, they left that, um, they just had that way of just creeping you out slightly. So what did you think when you heard that Doctor Who was coming back? I mean, did you stick with Doctor Who all the way until 89 or had you sort of dropped off? I did. Then? I did. Well, as I say, the Paul McGann one, I, I went to HMV and queued up at midnight <laughs> to get my D, to get oh, DVD, to get my DVD. I don't think so. To get my <laughs> videotape of the episode Despite the fact, I think you guys might be able to correct me on this, but I think despite the fact that they'd either shown it or were going to show it the following Saturday. Yeah, they, they hadn't shown it yet. Yeah, it came out um, on video first. Uh, so, so I queued up. We then drove back to the Hasbro offices at Stockley Park in London from central London, and we went straight into the presentation theatre that was used for... <laughs> doing uh, presentations to like 30, 40 people and stuck the, the um, video up on the big screen and sat there and watched um, the TV movie as it was just known then. I watched it right through to the end. I remember being really disappointed when Sylvester's era got cancelled because um, I'd gone to it. That was, I think that was my final year in college and I'd come back. I remember coming back and catching most of that final season. And it was just a step change um, in terms of the, I mean, some of it was still very as it was, but there was, there, there was a, the way it was shot, um, the imagery, just the sort of level of the way they did stuff, the seriousness with which the subject matter was treated, it, which in some ways is a bit of a counterpoint to the fact that all those stories, if anything, suffer from the fact that they're too short. There's almost, They've almost been cut back too far to, to really kind of, um, you know, make them sort of proper length stories. Um, but it was a, such a fantastic season. And the fact that, you know, that, that last shot of them walking off towards the TARDIS, um, Ace and the Doctor, um, and then that was it. And it was like, God, Doctor Who's gone. And then you just, and it wasn't like you knew it was coming back. It was just gone. It was just, you're too young to remember. Yeah. Don't nod your heads. Don't nod your heads as if you yeah. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, we've heard, we've heard it all through my brother. Yeah, yeah he was we've lived there. vicariously so, through the pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can, I can just about remember the TV movie um, coming out. So that's, that's my earliest Doctor Who <laughs> memories. Um, so what about when it came back or when you heard it was going to be coming back? Well, I committed, as usual, I committed a huge faux pas because um, I was in at the BBC chatting to somebody about something completely unconnected with Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> I made some, despite the fact I enjoyed it, I made some flippant comment about um, 
you know, I wish they'd do Doctor Who properly instead of um, the scream of the Schalke was out. I sort of said, I wish they'd do a proper Doctor Who instead of, you know, um, and I got kind of not berated, but I got sort of, well, it is a proper Doctor Who. But then in the sort of same breath, it was mentioned that, you know, when people say to you, watch that space, it was kind of the whatever equivalent was back then. They sort of said, you know, um, there's something in the works. And then I think it was it wasn't it was probably about six months and then it was all announced. And then, of course, that's when the discussions with the BBC uh, came up. My boss is a is a huge fan of um, Doctor Who as well. Um, not quite, in fairness, to the same level as me. But, you know, I think without his keenness, we wouldn't necessarily have got the license. But it's luck at the draw at the end of the day. I mean, they could have picked. I think at that time there was probably three or four British toy companies that, that could have or potentially would have got the uh, the gig. Um, so I think we were just lucky that we, when we got it. Um, the biggest issue for us was just timing because as usual with these things, by the time you find out and it's all agreed, you're already very short of time to get stuff out for when we wanted to do to be out, which was, I think, just after transmission or at least to try and catch Christmas of that of that first year. So, yeah, I mean, from a personal point of view, just fabulous and, and scared and worried because you kind of weren't sure what it was going to be uh, and how they were going to do it. And I remember we were invited to a private screening at uh, BBC Worldwide, I think, as it would have been then of Rose and just thinking, God, what's this, you know, what's it going to be like? And just being absolutely blown away. It was so different and so samey at the same time, um, which was, which was really cool. It was, it was brilliant. You know, um, you could tell people cared about it and they put a lot of time and effort into it. I'm assuming you've seen, Certain images, I guess the BBC had provided you stuff like of the TARDIS and Daleks by that point. I, th- I think it's, this is what I mean when I say we were late. I mean, I, I think we were, so, we, they were so close to it being on TV. And I think the fastest we could get stuff out was about five months, which could just about get stuff out in time for Christmas. We'd seen some early stuff and we'd seen some designs. And I have to say the... Um, uh, Russell T. Davis and uh, Ed Thomas, the designer, um, were fantastic. They gave us access to a huge number of stuff that was going to become iconic. You know, the Slovene and the you know, you know other characters. We this was back in the day when we had to do everything um, sculpted wise was done by hand or not by hand, but it was done by sculptors who used wax or some other similar um, clay uh, to sculpt it in. So it was a slightly longer process and, and a little bit more subjective than it is now where you just go and scan somebody and then they go, I don't like it. And you go, but it's you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue about it. <laughs> and they go, yeah, but I can't argue about it. I want this changed <laughs> or whatever. Um uh, so yeah, that that you know, um, we've had that happen on a few 
licenses were but but uh, it was much more subjective back then you know you have to kind of and the process always is you 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 um, when you're dealing with um, characters but everybody was invested in getting it right you know everybody was invested in getting it right everybody cared so there was there was nobody pushing back there was nobody trying to be unhelpful um, the retailers were fantastic they were always desperate they were desperate for the product they saw it all at the toy fair um you know and we were we were showing them things in a little cabinet at toy fair and and everybody bought into it it was just it was great it was absolutely fantastic the classic figures obviously they came what that was about 2008 i think they finally got released how did that come about obviously you were riding the wave of Russell T Davies. Yeah, I mean that was really it. I mean Doctor Who was just really big. There was already some interest in some of the previous doctors. We we begun a relationship with um what was um back then underground toys and I think we'd done a couple of exclusives and it really started with the doctors because we kind of ended up building that line of doctors up and then that naturally sort of then evolved into waves of other characters that we could we could potentially create and um bring into being so that, that's really where it came from and absolutely it came off the i mean without the strength of the main line and and the the sort of series one two three four five um they they just wouldn't have happened but there was the, there was demand for Doctor Who and and it, it's like anything it's like new star trek resurrects interests in old star trek so and you know people and it works kind of both ways so and i quite like that the fact that there's probably people watching classic doctor who now because they like yeah contemporary doctor who and there's also on the flip side that some of the people that are well we're all of geezers but um you know the people that are started off watching classic are now watching new who so it, 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 it you know it's it's healthy and it's and it's good but they they quite often are germinated by whatever is currently happening and it just works backwards. And, and what was the initial thinking with that first wave of figures? Like, how, What were the processes in picking those initial action figures for the first classic wave? Uh, purely and simply, they were my favourites. I mean, I've, I've always been blatantly honest about this. That, that whole wave one of classic was purely and simply because I basically went, I want a Vok robot. I want Magnus Grill. <laughs> I want Mr. Sin. I want the giant robot. I want the sea devil. It was just my first top six that I, that I like. I'm totally blatant about it. That was, <laughs> that, that was completely where it came from. It was just my favourites. And then that just kind of spiralled into uh, doing other ones. It's always quite interesting to hear what other people would have chosen as well, because obviously, depending on the era that you've got into Doctor Who, you, you have your... That a, that, that's a pretty good wave though isn't I'd it say. that's a pretty strong wave I remember when it was announced because yeah. I think it was announced on one of the early Doctor Who forums before yeah. the pictures were released I think you made a post saying we're doing classic Doctor Who and this will be yeah. the first wave 
And I remember, however, God, however old mm. I would have been then, like 14 or something. Yeah. Uh, I watched I watched Robots of Death. I think it must have been about 10 times back to back so that I could note down every single Vok robot <laughs> number in that series. And they were all on the decal sheet. Yeah, of course, because they came with the extra stickers, didn't they? Which was just insane if you think about it. Yeah. Like you just go oh, V1 and V2 and V3 and you know, but it wasn't because, as we know, they were all populated by different ones. So yeah, and we got three versions out of that um, Fox Robot. But yeah, I absolutely loved. I absolutely loved that. I still got a lot of those. The other thing I think that's worth mentioning, Matt, is um, you know, a lot of this may sound self-congratulatory, and it's it's definitely not intended that way. Um, you know, we make toys, pure and simple. We didn't come up with the original concepts, ideas, or creatures. We get a huge amount of help from the BBC and other parties when we develop these these toys. But we're riding on the coattails of giants to a, a huge degree in the sense that, you know, all those original stories, those original designs, the special effects guys, the creature effects guys, and, you know, be that classic or contemporary who, you know, <laughs> they're the guys that came up with these fantastic, memorable monsters. So um, I think it's super important that uh, you bear that in mind. And, you know, like I say, we just make toys and we couldn't do it without them. Well, we've been inundated with questions, Al, that we're going to run through with you now. You can tell us as much or as little as you like. Um, we should just Is get that it a good thing? <laughs> were you holding your script down with Agador? We were, yeah. yes, of course we were. Uh, Bernard. That's an outrageous use of a, of a royal beast of Peladon. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's just get th these two out of the way. Are we going to see a Fugitive Doctor figure? Not on the cards currently, but never say never. That'll do for me. Excellent. Cool. <laughs> we'll get that, that one's out of the way now. Put it this way. I would love if there was, because I thought um, Joe Martin was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yes, that would be... If I had a wish list, I do have a wish list, but if I had a wish list, that would definitely be uh, a figure I'd want. Can you divulge your wish list? Because I know a few people have asked, yeah. like, what would be your most wanted figure? But is that going to give the game away as to what's not coming out? <laughs> it might It might give some of the game away. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of figures that I like. I mean, um, the situation, I mean, it's... I think what people don't understand is just how and i can't give you the exact figures and, I, and, I, and I, I wouldn't want to but just how extraordinarily expensive these figures are to make i don't i don't i think there's a conception out there that because we tweak things for b and m and and we can put a new head and new paint ops and stuff it, it it's that that small beans that isn't small beans and doing a full figure of any new character is 100% not small beans um you know the world's got and then on top of that the world's got more expensive anyway so you know um you're talking big money for these things so i i'm always i'm always one that sort of says never say never and i've always got my little wish list hanging on the wall joe martin the fugitive doctor would certainly be up there i would love to do a cyberman one of the slightly more recent ones i'm not sure which one i'd pick if I'm honest, I think I'll be tempted to go for the more recent one. Yeah. Just because I kind of felt the post-Cybus ones 
were a little bit war machine. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Which is a bit unkind. But there was something about the latest ones that kind of hark back to the original Cybermen. And I've always been of the opinion that the, if you make the Cybermen too robotic, you lose the whole Definitely. point of them, mm. which is they sh- they're utterly horrifying. They're, they're, they should be, you know, they're basically animated cadavers with machines grafted on. That was always the terrifying thing. That's why it was such a, you know, when Star Trek nicked them and basically turned them into the Borg, <laughs> that was the biggest outrage ever. Um, but, you know, to me, the, the, the Cybermen are more horrifying because you can see they were human. You know, the original masks and stuff are much more scary one of my you guys know i'm sure i've talked to you about it but one of my favorite doctor who stories is the is the big finish spare parts audio story i don't think there's a finer cyberman origin story out there it's just doom laden from start to finish but it's just a fantastic story the atmosphere is just you know um grim to put it mildly so yeah so um i think sasha dewan master uh definitely i know people say oh you could do him you could do him cheaply and you could do it's not quite and i'm always it's a bit like the anthony ainley master which we'll come on to in a minute um (laughs) these characters are so important for me you can't change the head or give it a new arm if you're gonna do it do it properly it's not a kind of i personally can't do that and just go, I'll take this figure and I'll stick a head on it. And that's the Anthony Enley Master with a little rough Victorian collar. It, for me, it, it would, you know, if you took something like, um, which I have looked at, characters uh, like um, the Hemivores, they're a kind of a mishmash of body parts. And, and I think you could get away with not being too artistically on target as far as their exact costumes because with the decoration and stuff you can do a lot and i think you could get away with a lot um and i have looked at it but with primary characters like the master and um uh, the cybermen and and the the ainley master especially i I, I, i'm very just very much of the opinion if i can ever do it and do it properly i'll do it until then don't keep telling me i can change you know, somebody's head because <laughs> I'm not going to listen to you. So now we're going to pose your questions to Al, starting with Bulkhead Studios, who asks, what are your thoughts on the 3.75-inch line? And was it ever thought that this would possibly replace the 5-inch figures altogether? What are my thoughts on the 3.5? Uh, I, I really liked them. I thought they gave us one massive opportunity that didn't really come to pass, which was a bit unfortunate, which was... By changing the scale, it suddenly gave us the opportunity to do vehicles and play sets. Um, and I really thought it would potentially be a bit of a game changer. You know, I love the idea that you would have your Peter Capaldi figure running out the TARDIS and running up the ramp of the Millennium Falcon because it just happened to be in the same scale as the Star Wars figures or jumping into a snow speeder or we could suddenly make Bessie, <clears throat> we could make console rooms, et cetera, et cetera. My thoughts on that are dead simple. I, I, I like them. Do I like them as much as the five-inch figures? Uh, 
No, if, if I'm brutally honest, but I thought they served a purpose. It was at a time when the uh, Doctor Who figure line and figure lines in general. So it's not just the Doctor Who figure line, I might say. It's the figure action figures in, in, in general were sort of on the on the slide. I thought it might give us an opportunity. It did. We were slightly unfortunate. It was a it was a case where there was there was just I think a, a, a misunderstanding of of how it was supposed to work. I don't think in the long run it would have changed much if I'm if I'm brutally honest. I think just at that point in time, action figures per se were just you know the boys' action figure line was just um, disappearing rapidly. Um, the flip side of that is what it did mean. I think was that the five inch figure range for the collectors it probably felt like the love of, uh, was instantly booted out the door and that somehow we didn't care anymore we did it was just you know it's a business and we're 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 in it to make money but it's as simple as that you know I'm, I'm, we don't we don't do the doctor who line for the <laughs> for just because we like it and we can't that's not how you run a business um so it was an experiment I don't think the thing, some of the things I thought would come to pass would inevitably, such as the play sets, because we almost immediately started doing these slightly more budget oriented cardboard play sets. And I think for me, as well as everyone else, that, that was a bit disappointing. So, uh, yeah, so I, I love it. Um, I thought it was good. I've still got a bunch of them in my drawer here. Yeah, it was good. I, I liked it. It was, it was worth doing. Uh, and it still holds a little dear place in my heart. Not quite as dear a place as my five-inch figures do, but there you go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. James Johnson asks, Hi Al, thank you for all of the Daleks over the years. It's happily kept my bank balance drained. Are there any plans for more comic and big finish ones in the future? Did you say that was from Dwayne Johnson or from... (laughs) (laughs) Almost as cool. (laughs) Yeah, Daleks do. Well, Daleks are expensive. They're much more expensive than the standard figures. Again, it's something people maybe don't realise because I think they just assume, oh, it's a Dalek. You can can make it. It's cheap. But they're not. They're they're more expensive than the the figures. So I understand the pain of the... the, the cash drain for sure. Again, I would say it, it's it's an opportunity thing. The, the big Finnish guys were exceptionally helpful when we went and sort of said, would you mind if we did a sort of cooperative release and we use some of, I just, I mean, as a courtesy, I mean, in reality, I could, we could have gone to the BBC and just said, can we use that? And they would have probably said yes. But the big Finnish guys are absolutely brilliant and I wouldn't have wanted to do that. So it was an opportunity. We had the discussion with them. The reality was there wasn't a huge amount financially in it for them. So I would say very graciously they jumped on board and it was done more as a sort of cross-promotional opportunity, which I think it did... Uh, really well i mean it's interesting people are asking that because at the time we i certainly remember a lot of kickback on that saying oh why are we doing 
you know, why are we doing big Finnish stories when there's so much other stuff that could be mined? But, uh, but um, you know, the big Finnish guys, I can never praise them highly enough. I mean, I absolutely love their stuff. I think they, they just do astounding um, stuff, and I, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, they're brilliant. Um, so the answer is I'd love to, but it's probably a case of picking the right thing and the right opportunity and being realistic about what you can can do so for i mean they've got really funky cool daleks like dalek time controllers with extra bits on and we can't do that because i just you know so it's it, it's there's some characters in big finish that i absolutely think are brilliant i mean i love livchenko um i think nicola walker is astounding i love the dark eyes series i think i think the ravenous are just a terrific villain the 11 is just, is just and it's that you know mark bonner as the 11 i think i think that guy deserves um an oscar there there is there's so many i mean if you if whoever is listening if you haven't listened to the big finish stuff go and listen to it it's brilliant but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just a case of if there was if there was a opportunity, I would jump on it. But I think if we suddenly came out with a bunch of big Finnish product and characters and the people that still wanted Susan because I'm a completist, um, you know, suddenly <laughs> we'll be turned on <laughs> like <laughs> I'll be a pack of pitchfork wielding. <laughs> collectors at the door going why have you done this you haven't done tegan you know we, <laughs> we, so yeah it's there's an opportunity and i i would love to it, it's more a case of as and when and if we can if we can do it and if we can i would love to it's a very long way i've got to stop doing long answers. <laughs> next question please next question, <laughs> uh comes from dan who's asked what has been your favorite bnm set so far and why <laughs> my favorite bnm set's the one that you guys haven't seen yet <laughs> oh, there we go. it's one of the ones it's one of the ones from this year this year's um bnm offering is has been a little bit different a little bit more grounded in reality in terms of um what what we were able to do and achieve but there is one item um that's, that's good. actually that's not true i'm lying through my teeth my my favorite bnm my favorite BM set by a by a, by a complete mile is is the robot set that we just did because I got to go back and tweak the robot, which I've been wanting to do for ages. Um, but yeah, that one is good. And there's one I'm looking at for next year, which if I can get that one away, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be good. I'm always excited about the next one. I, it's weird when you, when you've worked. I mean, you you guys will get this when you work on something. People are like, oh, you work on Doctor Who, and I'm like, yeah, but it's my job. But you know, it's like you know, by the time you've looked at it 20 million times and and signed it off and and seen six of them across your desk, you just look into the next one, really. So I'm always excited for the one that's coming up because that's when I get to be creative. So I, I tend to get less excited by. The stuff that's been there and out and gone already, um, yeah, for sure. But I th- but I, w- I would say the robot set I think is one of the one of my personal favourites. Albeit it's in too small a box, which was. <laughs> I did this amazing insert for that product, and it got smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> I had to keep cropping my artwork down, and then 
one of the first reviews said, oh, it's just in a box with a crappy bit of wall. And I was like, it didn't used to have a crappy bit of wall. It was a really lovely wall until it got cut down. <laughs> uh, Michael Markey asks, any plans for history of the Cybermen sets in the future? The honest answer is yes. I mean, um, probably, I think with the likes of B&M, you start to, like, I almost feel we've, almost feel we've run into war with Doctor and TARDIS sets. I mean, I don't know what anyone else's shelves are like, and I could probably pan up and show you one up there, but um, I think we're sort of groaning under TARDISes. So I think at some point we'll probably have to look at those. Uh, the danger with the Cybermen is, again, there are some missing from the lineup. So you would it would be a potted history of the Cybermen, which might not be quite as well received um, as. And we've released a lot of Cybermen through B&M already. And it would be just another figure pack, whereas there's always been a differentiation in the sense of there's always been a TARDIS set, the three-figure sets, the Dalek sets have always been slightly different. So uh, so the answer is um, yes, but I think it, I think if that's a veiled way of somebody saying, what are the chances we're going to get a um, Peter Capaldi, Mondasian Cyberman, and a Wheel in Space Cyberman, and a server robot? And it, the answer is no, you won't. Not currently, not on the not on the cards. Jack D. Evans asks, what's the story with the 3.75 inch Invasion of Earth figures from the Toys R Us Dalek collector set? Were there plans to make more new series Dalek figures in classic colors? That was just my slightly mad idea. They, they came almost before, I can't even remember how that happened, but the Daleks came way before the other 3.75 inch figures did. And we almost had a Dalek range on its own of individual carded Daleks and little Daleks that buzzed along. And then we had these ones. And it was, I mean, I just think there's, I'm just a fan of doing a bit of a mashup between the 60s coloured Daleks um, and the modern look, because the modern styling new series Dalek is just so lovely. And it kind of lends itself to being slightly different colours. So, yeah, I... Just, I was just happy to muck around and and create variants. So, so we got we got a few of those, and they were in that sort of like we were we were doing some quite funky packaging. It's a bit like a yogurt pot upside down and and, and stuff. I did have some in the office. I would have been going, oh look, here's an example. But actually, um, I think I took it home and stuck it on the top. So it's somewhere there. Robert James Billingham asks, what is your personal favourite figure in the line? I'm, I'm not sure I have one, but if I did, it's probably this guy. For, or for audio listeners, Al is holding up the fourth Doctor from Pyramids of Mars. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mars, fourth Doctor, of course. Um, I've got a few figures. So the, the War Doctor, I think, is one of the best figures we ever did. I mean... I think that figure is stunning. Holds its own against anything. You can you can throw whatever you like at that, but that that figure is great. The um, although we only ever got one variant of it, the Clara figure I wanted to do so that she didn't look clunky with gammy hip joints and stuff. So we did her in that sort of TPR, slightly rubbery material red dress. But I still think that's one of the nicest figures 
that we ever did. Most of the Cybermen figures are pretty uh, good as well. It's just sometimes you just get a, a figure that will come out and, as I say, you just have an expectation it's going to be great. And sometimes it just, for whatever reason, it just doesn't quite work. There's this thing when you're, when you're making figures where they, when they cut the steel, and I've had this happen a few times, it's really sharp. You get the first shots and you go, oh my God, that's amazing. It's brilliant. You know, it's so, it's so pleasing. It's lovely. And then what happens is they polish the tool. So some guy goes, <laughs> and you can get people that are a little bit ambitious with the polishing. And somehow they manage to buff off a, sh- a shed load of the detail. And then you can just get, and then you can just get weird things like the way they mold stuff. The, because when the injection mold the PVC parts, uh, I don't know if you guys know about this, but basically the two sides of the big steel mold, which is roasting hot, boom, come together. The in- plastic is injected into it. Water is then cycled through the, the, like a car engine to cool it down. Water is then cycled through the, the, the tooling. The tool opens and the little plastic part drops three feet and usually into a big bucket of water with 200,000 other little heads or components, whatever you're making. Some figures just distort horribly. Miles Taylor asks, are there any figures that will never see re-released, whether that's due to moulds being destroyed, licensing issues, exclusivity deals, etc.? No, there's nothing to do with exclusivity deals, but there are figures that won't be re-released, and that's I'm a bit bloody-minded about it, but if the, the character option exclusives are a good example of that. They are exclusive because we're only doing them once. We're not... <laughs> you know, if you're, you're hanging around to get a fur coat, trout and... Um, you know, three years down the line in B&M, it's not going to happen. It's just, for me, if, if those, the whole point of those sets was they were supposed to be a bit more premium, a bit better, uh, better decoration, nicer packaging, etc. So I, I'm never saying never about most of the figures we've done, but there's some that you would, I mean, I think if we released a um, destroyed Cassandra, we'd be lynched. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been looking at my question? That's the next one, Matt. I don't think think destroyed Cassandra's ever... Oh, speaking of which, she was was kicking around here. (laughs) um, What's the story behind that, Al? Tell us... Yeah, but Ben Ben Egan asked that next. He said, destroyed Cassandra. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Destroyed Cassandra came... uh, I think this has been wildly talked about in the forums, but I think it's probably very near the truth. But I... I think at the time it was a case that Doctor Who action figures, I mean, we were selling them to everyone. We were selling them to Argos. Bullworth was massive at the time. We had Toys R Us, um, all the shop retail, all the sort of groceries were taking them as well. And we were trying to do variants for and exclusives for so many people that I think destroyed Cassandra. <laughs> came, came, well, there's two options on this. One, it was just so wildly successful as a line that we didn't stop to think how freaking stupid <laughs> it was, <laughs> which is possible. Or two, it, it was a way of um, reusing some of the tooling to make um, an action figure who was dead. <laughs> <laughs>
and basically a scene filler. So she's up there with Grandma Connolly. I mean, at least Grandma Connolly wasn't quite dead and potentially offered the chance of resurrection. But um, yeah, destroyed the That's a good figure. Yeah. I love that Grandma Connolly figure. She's great. I love Grandma Connolly. I still, to this day, every time we get, I'm looking at um, what can I do for B&M, I still occasionally look at Grandma Connolly and think, <laughs> Yeah. Got to be a way to get, <laughs> even a way, a way to get poor old Mrs. Connolly in there somewhere. Um, yeah, so that was that's the story behind destroyed Cassandra. I think it was literally a case we needed a figure. Um, I think it's more likely we just didn't stop to think how bloody stupid it was um, in reality. Max Farr asks: uh, the factory is burning down, and you can only save three molds. Which would they be? Uh, Teletubbies, the Clangers. <laughs> probably Danger Mouse. No, I'm joking. Not Danger Mouse. Raster Mouse. Raster Mouse. Um, oh, well, I, I I would throw that back in your face. That's in the sense that uh, if the factory can burn down. The tools will be perfectly fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll, we'll pick them out of the burning rubble and we'll have it up and running again in no time. <laughs> it, yeah, the classic Dalek. That's what I'd save. I'd save everything from the classic Dalek. That's that one figure with multiple different bits that have been done and tooled for it over the years. But it is. And uh, for those listening at home, I'm holding up a, uh, a Dalek. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, that's a bit of a giveaway. That's a, I was just that's about to say, I don't, a, I don't a, think we've seen that one yet. <laughs> <now. laughs> yeah, the classic Dalek would be saved 100%, along with the factory cat. Oh, bless him, bless him. Um, James Patterson asks, any chance of more TARDIS play sets? The last one was the 11th Doctor's TARDIS in 2010. Again, if it's a, if it's a veiled inquiry as to will we ever get a classic TARDIS play set, I think the honest answer is probably no. Um, I, I don't know in regards to going forwards. Um I would love to. I mean, I I think that <laughs> I think the TARDIS playset that we did do, actually both of them, three if you count the junkyard one, but both of them, I would say, especially the first one, were absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, it's yeah. still one of the most complex things I've ever done and put together. <laughs> I remember taking it in <laughs> to the BBC and putting it on the on the BBC executive that we were dealing with at the time's desk and going, look at this. And she, <laughs> and she turned around and went, can it be bigger? <laughs> so I went, no, <laughs> it's freaking gigantic. And that's as big as we can make it. Um, I, th- I think that was good. If there was the opportunity, 100%, 100%, definitely. Dippin' Sticks asks, what has been the longest or most difficult figure or set to get from idea to release in the range? (laughs) One I can't tell you about because I'm still trying to get it. (laughs) (laughs) And the most difficult figure, it's the Ainley Master. No, it's not. Um, (laughs) Just you imagine how many people have now just gone, what? What did he say? We'll just clip Um, that bit out, Al. We won't won't get your clarification in there. Um, none of them are particularly difficult. We, we did have one disaster with the 3.75 inch range, which was the, which was the first Peter Capaldi figure. The eagle-eyed amongst you will remember that there was an image released of Peter Capaldi in his 
lovely red jacket with the front flipped open and it looked lovely. But somehow with that figure, everything, everything went wrong. The, the scan that we took uh, wasn't flattering at all. I think it was the pose at a slightly bent legged pose. He was, he was kind of in a pose. Um, and when it got broken down into, and as it just sort of went along, it, it just became this really strange thing. I think, you know, the head was too small. The, 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 the jacket had this weird thing of curling outwards. The thighs were massively thick, but then the, bottom calves were sort of really th- I mean I'm p- painting a beautiful picture here <laughs> I understand but and it was just one of those things where it, it didn't seem to matter what we did and we tried I'd say we I tried a lot of stuff but I remember putting it in as a pre-production sample for approval and knowing before I'd even press the send button that there wasn't a hope in hell we were going to get that figure approved. And sure enough, they just, it was a deathly silence. And then I think about 24 hours later, they sort of came back and went, you know, we're not approving that. And I went, well, that's no surprise. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was the worst. That was the worst experience. That, that figure was, and there's, there's three in existence and I have all three of them. So I, so I, I, I and they're never seeing the light of day. Um, but yeah, it was just, it just went wrong. Everything on that figure went wrong. Um, but the next one was fabulous. Scotty Lodinson asks, why no celery on the original Fifth Doctor? Oh, <laughs> celery gate, celery gate. Pure stupidity is the honest answer. I, <laughs> I don't even know why I did it, to be honest. Um, I'd read an interview or I'd seen something where Peter Davidson said he hated that bloody celery. And I sort of said, Oh, so did I. So let's not, let's not put it on there. And I don't still to this day, don't know why. And um, I got bollocked quite rightly by several people, but it was just, it was just an incredibly stupid thing to do to just decide that somehow something as iconic as a celery shouldn't be on there. So um, I got my butt kicked. Um, and yeah, it, it, to my eternal shame, Celery Gate has brought up several, and that celery has served me well because it's 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 been used on a bucket of stuff since. Um, but yes, it was pure. What's the word? Is it avarice? Is that oh, no, not avarice? It, it, pure uh, whatever it was. I was just a complete ass. I think. <laughs> Quote Bill Potts, I was a complete bloody arse. Um, yeah, it was just a dumb thing to do um, and made no sense at all. So, yes, that's the reason. That's the reason there was no salary, because the idiot that was in charge of that figure decided, for whatever reason, not to include it. Uh, Jack WC asks, uh, back when image backdrops were used in the box sets, how did you choose which screen captures, individual elements, Easter eggs uh, to include in the layout? Oh, well, I did all those myself. So actually, it's purely down to kind of me trying to bodge them together. And that's a good example, actually, of where sometimes things that you think are going to be simple turn out to be really complex, like 
um, <laughs> Caves of Androzani set was an absolute nightmare to do. And yet something like um, Day of the Daleks um, was easy because it was just kind of like, find a canal, find a, you know, find a bridge, um, find some foliage. But some some literally take ages because you kind of got to kind of Photoshop them all together. And then some are really quick and it's and it's quite easy. Um, it's and, and as before, it's always the stuff that you think is going to be easy that's difficult and, and vice versa. So, yeah. And then as to the Easter eggs, that's usually down to me and just if i'm deciding in a you know i've got the time and inclination to put uh something in there so like professor chronotus's library with him being a time lord it just mm. seemed like an opportunity to kind of chuck stuff in that a time lord might have collected as he was going including things like teleport bracelets and orac and the moment and other stuff that was sort of hidden on those shelves uh sometimes it's not that easy and it doesn't work particularly well um I put some really cool ones in the abominable snowman that just happened to be right behind where the blister was attached because they didn't tell me they were going to be blistering it. So I did all that lovely insert thinking it was going to be the usual sort of tied in plastic blister. And then they actually heat sealed it on. Um, so when you removed that, it completely wrecked the backdrop. So, yeah. So sometimes you do your best and, you get, <laughs> and it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, James asks, what is Al's opinion on toy customizers? Does he love them and their creativity with his range, or are they the bane of his existence? <laughs> Which, this isn't Captain Jimmy Pie, is I'm it? Not sure I'm not it sure it is, no. No, because no. um, he, he, he's he's good. He does a lot of really cool custom. What's my... But I, hell, if you want to customise stuff, go ahead and customise it. Just don't try and sell it as a... as a Basically, to make a money in a in a reproduction piece of packaging. That's just taking the mick frankly but if you want to customize stuff for yourself yeah all for it i mean who who doesn't customize the figures you know it might be just adding a bit of uh, well you know i bought a c3po the other yeah. day and it was kind of like you know i was sitting there looking at it, it was like that's rubbish it looks too shiny so just get the old wax out and so sort of so yeah i mean i think everyone why not no issue and some of the customs um that people do are amazing <laughs> and there's also the infinite monkey cage scenario which happened on the romana um uh destiny of the daleks figure where i was already literally working on that figure and then uh, somebody in the office came up and went oh look what this guy's customed and i was like oh shit <laughs> it was exactly the same it was exactly the same body exactly the same figure exactly the same paint job just almost like you've kind of lifted it but then it's like i say infinite monkey cage um you will eventually arrive at the same conclusion so yeah uh, some of the customs are absolutely stunning and some of the stuff that people do just scratch built i mean i've seen a couple of emperor daleks that just look amazing really good you mentioned there about c3po one of the questions that we didn't put on the list but someone did ask what do you are you a toy collector or figure collector yourself and if so what lines do you collect i'm not i'm more of a prop collector if i'm honest um i do have some toys but i'm quite limited in what i collect i've got maybe six black series figures but that's just because they're ones that i particularly like i've got some Doctor Who, very limited Doctor Who ones. Um, 
I've got some handmade tardises. Some were built by me. Um, but I like props. I mean, I, I, I love Indiana Jones. I, my, one of my favorite movies ever is Blade Runner, uh, Star Wars mostly can do no wrong although there has been some real rubbish stuff um uh, but yeah it it usually tends to be props lightsabers guns whips bags <laughs> jackets um yeah that i i like props probably more than than i than i do figures so don't don't crucify me for that it's just just happens to be a fact um you know, even james bond that kind of stuff i've got a, got a lovely little um, oh wow look at that nice lovely james bond um which uh i lost some of the bits for i've been steadily trying to remake it in 3d but um yeah that, that, that so some toys yes i've got a few eagle transporters hidden around but my wife is not very understanding with um when it comes to things like toys and stuff running lying around so <laughs> most of it's hidden away <laughs> this is the last question now this is from uh, dw figure photos on twitter and they asked Back when you got the toy license for Doctor Who, did you ever imagine the figure line would become as big as it is today? Um, no, obviously, no, I don't think we did. I mean, I, I think it's worth, I think it's very much worth st staying the part, saying that part of the um, success of the figure line has been the sculpting. And I am not responsible for the sculpting. Um, there was a hugely talented pool of people that were involved in those figures in the beginning there's still i still work with um ed barnett ward from the affable company um who does most of my doctor who sculpts these days he and i are very much on the same wavelength so if i don't like something or vice versa you know we just tend to work uh, and very well together and we have done right from about 20 years ago um, but these guys are really the the mainstay of the of the figure line, and and they have been. So it's so it's often, for me. I think it's important to give a shout out to them because they've been so instrumental in um, it, it just in in you know keeping the line going. It's it's also worth saying. And again, I don't think people realise Doctor Who's. It's now the. I mean, uh, we've added variants and stuff, but I think we have. Some we had plus three hundred individual figures, and plus four hundred, well over four hundred combined or hybrid figures, which is second only to the Star Wars license under Hasbro. I mean, the Doctor Who figure line is humongous. It, it really is. So. Um, the answer to that question is no, we're absolutely no idea. Um, you know, here we are 17 years later and, you know, it's been a roller coaster. Sometimes we're, we're, things are flying out the door and sometimes, sometimes they, um, they're a bit quieter, but that, that line has, uh, remained very popular, um, and very steady. And everyone here cares about it. I mean, we do get the old cock up, I admit. You know, hands up, things go wrong. Things like the back of Daleks don't get painted. But it's not it's not because we wanted it to be wrong. <laughs> it's because the factory's done it that way. But yeah, everybody everybody cares. Everybody puts more in some cases more than we probably should. Um 
but we all absolutely 100% care. We love Doctor Who. We love the toys. We love the action figures. Um, I'm very grateful to all the support that we've had as well because, you know, the collectors always stay with us despite the odd cock-up. Um, but And it's genuinely nice to be able to surprise people with something new or different or something they just weren't expecting. So it's it's very rewarding. You know, from Disco Dancing Rose and the ninth as i think they've now become termed and that's the weird thing you know that we we were doing radio control daleks and we just said we need to do a couple of action figures and they were going to be static Mm. they were just going to be which is why they're in that pose because they were just going to be and they literally match up if you put them in their poses they literally match up to the photography that they they did for the for, um, for the sort of press releases and stuff at the time, so it's not that we just went, oh, let's put them in some gammy poses. You know, <laughs> that was that was the pose they were they were put in, and they weren't even supposed to be articulated. And then we were like, oh, we should articulate them, and then we got those figures out, and then we had the new, the, well, the second, the tenth Doctor came in, um, so we had a regeneration set, so that was done as well, and then it kind of just snowballed well thank you very much for joining us al that was amazing thank you it's been a delight to chat about um these things they some of them seem long ago and some of them seem relatively fresh thank thank everybody for their um questions as well um it's always good to i'm sorry if i couldn't answer everything um some things i'm not allowed to talk about some things are a bit contentious but um yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed it. I'm hoping to see you guys at some point, sometime soon. Or yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And we'll have to arrange that. We'll have yeah. to sort that out. That'd yeah. be fabulous. Uh, maybe get you yeah. in the studio. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd love that. Wonderful. Amazing. Well, uh, <clears throat> thank you, Al. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for watching. Thanks for sending your questions, as Al said. And uh, we'll see you next time with whatever we've got planned. Yeah. See you later. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>